reputational damage from Murdoch on down. For Fox News, the stolen election lie could prove expensive. Car bombs, court cases, and word games. The hazards of journalism in Russia. And China versus Taiwan. A geopolitical mismatch that comedians are playing for laughs. Hello, I'm Richard Gisbert, and you're at The Listening Post, where we provide explanatory journalism about journalism. When a news organization presents claims it knows to be false, that is a breach of journalistic ethics. Fox News is arguing otherwise. The American network that for years provided a platform for former President Donald Trump's lies about the 2020 election, that the results were fraudulent, is calling its coverage of that story warranted. Fox is being sued by Dominion voting systems whose tabulating machines Trump insists were rigged against him. And the case has produced all kinds of evidence showing that key figures at the network, including its owner, Rupert Murdoch, knew that Trump's stolen election narrative was bogus but chose to broadcast it anyway. Bombshell emails and texts that paint a picture of a news outlet whose lust for ratings and revenues won out over its journalism a channel that now operates in fear of its own audience and will go to extraordinary lengths just to keep those people tuning in. When it comes to scandals, Rupert Murdoch is an old hand. His tabloids, whether they're coming out of New York, London or Sydney, feast on them. They're good for business. And the 91-year-old Australian has been at the center of a few scandals of his own. As anyone in the UK who has had their phone hacked by a News Corp reporter will tell you. But Murdoch's never been exposed quite like this. Because as Fox News prepares to go to court next month facing a $1.6 billion lawsuit launched by Dominion Voting Systems over the network's coverage of the 2020 US election results, an abundance of evidence has already surfaced internal communications at Fox, damning material that goes all the way to the top. For the first week or so, Fox was calling the election the way it had gone, the way that we all in Earth One had experienced it. Putting him over the 270 electoral votes he needs to become the 46th president of the United States. And about a week later, Murdoch, and you see the internal communications here back this up, discovered that the people in Trump world would not watch reality. They're stealing the election. You can't let that happen. It's a coup. They didn't want to watch Fox if Fox was telling them their guy hadn't won. And they found themselves losing market share. And so that is the moment you see a real pivot in the way the uh, that Fox decides to talk about the 2020 election. The 2020 presidential election was not fair. No honest person would claim that it was fair. What has been laid bare is the degree to which uh, Fox News made choices about what to put on the air for political and particularly for financial reasons. They rigged the election in front of all of us and nobody did anything about it. But they were putting stuff affirmatively on the air that as we now know, their producers, their hosts, and their corporate bosses at Fox Corp, uh, the Murdochs, knew was false. Knew was, in the words of one of the executives, nuts. We can see from internal memos, we can see from what Rupert says, 
in a deposition to the court. We can see it from conversations with chief executives. They knew this claim of voter fraud against of the Dominion had been you know, fiddled with was false. But because they were losing audiences, they decided to resurrect this. The emails and texts provided to the court reveal the conflict the Murdochs and Fox were facing in the aftermath of the election. One that pitted journalistic ethics up against the business's bottom line, in which the bottom line won out. This is a big development. Yeah. The Fox News decision desk is calling Arizona for Joe Biden. Many of the messages related to Arizona, a state that Fox News's election desk concluded Joe Biden had won over Donald Trump. The Trump campaign claimed baselessly, according to a judge and numerous investigations, that the election had been stolen, that Dominion had tipped the scales by rigging its computerized tabulators. No responsible American news outlet gave the stolen election narrative much credence. Fox was an exception, and those internal comms have come back to bite, since they prove the network knew better. The Dominion lawsuit is showing that they're extremely aware that these false claims about Dominion are being circulated. They know that the audience wants more of the conspiracy, not less. And they're kind of deliberating about what to do. But the one factor that never seems to make a difference to anybody at Fox is it's untrue. It never happened. And this shows that Murdoch was very much in charge of the company during this period. It's impossible for him to say he didn't know what's going on, given what's come out from the Dominion lawsuit. It's pretty clear that Fox News operated, first and foremost, as a business, providing desired political content to a big audience, uh, and that journalistic imperatives were far behind. And then there's the lawsuit with the various legal aspects and implications, which may or may not play out against Fox. Fox could prevail in this case. But what we've learned about Fox has affirmed some of the accounts that, that I and other reporters have gleaned over the years, the degree to which the business and then the political imperatives have really driven uh, this supposed news outlet. There is still a chance this case could be settled out of court before it gets to trial next month. If it does go ahead and Fox loses, even if it has to shell out $1.6 billion in damages, that will not put it out of business. It can afford to take the hit. And bear in mind, Rupert Murdoch's corporate obituary has been written before and proved premature. A decade ago, the phone hacking scandal in the UK cost his company hundreds of millions of dollars in lawsuits and landed News Corp in front of a commission of inquiry. That judge called for tougher regulation of British newspapers, a recommendation the Conservative government, which News Corp backed, chose to ignore. But the British inquiry did not have the kind of evidence the US court does. Back then, Murdoch could deny he knew of the wrongdoing. This time, he cannot. There are some legal powers and a public inquiry parliament but it's not like an American law case. There is in black and white admissions in Murdoch's deposition that he knew is involved in it and he knew they were lying. That was something could be inferred by the extent over 20 years of illegal newspaper gathering techniques in the UK, but only inferred. Here we have it, not just a smoking gun, the gun itself. If the trial goes forward, you're gonna have these Fox News anchors 
uh, you know, on the stand under oath. And we've seen emails, so we know what the truth is, right? And now they're going to have to decide whether they're going to perjure themselves or tell the truth. And if they tell the truth, are their viewers going to see it? So I do think ultimately this is just a really bad situation for them. But at every point, they had the opportunity to do the right thing. And at every point, they doubled down, right? So I don't have a ton of sympathy for them. All kinds of reputations are on the line. Some of you have been asking why I'm not covering the Dominion voting machines lawsuit against Fox. The company has decided that as part of the organization being sued, I can't talk about it or write about it, at least for now. I strongly disagree with that decision, but as an employee, I have... Fox anchor Howard Kurtz, for one, felt compelled to explain his silence to his viewers. The official company line on the case is that Fox's coverage is constitutionally protected under the First Amendment, that Donald Trump's claims of election fraud, while false, were nonetheless newsworthy. But the network is clearly wary. It is no longer giving airtime to guests accusing Dominion of election interference. Still, this past week, Tucker Carlson was spinning the January 6th insurrection, carried out by Americans who believed the stolen election story. Infiltrators, Carlson insisted, were more like tourists. They were peaceful, they were orderly and meek. These were not insurrectionists, they were sightseers. They take cheerful selfies and they smile. Fox is still pandering to that audience. Because like the Republican Party, which has grown dependent on Trump voters for electoral reasons, Fox needs those viewers for commercial ones. Freedom! Charge the Capitol! What the party and the network both helped to create they have come to fear. The party might want to move on, but this hardcore of Trump supporters has no intention of moving on. And the party can't change that. And Fox is in a similar situation. It can't get rid of these uh, viewers. And they've been taught that they can have the stories they want to have, regardless if they're true or not. And so in both cases, they created this kind of core that is detached from reality and wants what it wants. So the chances of the company changing seem almost zero. Stop that steal. Stop it's kind of like Frankenstein's monster here. Dr. Frankenstein, wasn't Frankenstein, created this human being out of spare parts and then is terrorized by it. Even Rupert is not in control of events now. He's created so much energy, so much heat rather than light. Fox may well double down. They may think they've got nothing to lose now. What is democracy worth to the American people? I mean, you have a significant part of the population that does not believe this 2020 election was free and fair, despite all evidence to the contrary. And if you can look at, a, at sort of one thing to blame, it's Fox News and this conservative media ecosystem. Russians have seen a flurry of media activity, Ukraine-related, involving figures on both the pro- and anti-Kremlin side, and there's a Fox News angle thrown in for good measure. Minakshi Ravi is here with more. This past week has made it clear that within Russia, more than a year into the Ukraine war, the media are still a key battleground. Starting with what Russia's intelligence service, the FSB, says was an attempted assassination of this man, Konstantin Malofeyev. 
He's the founder of Tsargrad TV, a pro-Putin Russian Orthodox TV channel that got its start in 2015 with the help of some former Fox News staffers. Malofiev says his channel is Russia's answer to Fox News. This past week, the FSB released a video which they claim shows someone planting a bomb under Malofiev's car, noting that the same method was used to assassinate another prominent Russian media figure last year, Daria Dugina, who once hosted a show on Sargrad TV. Russian authorities blamed Ukrainian special forces for the attempt on Malofiev's life and said the UN should stand up for the safety of journalists, no matter their nationality and their politics. Also last week, a Moscow court sentenced a 23-year-old Russian blogger to eight and a half years in prison for posting false information about the army. Dmitry Ivanov ran a popular group on the Telegram messaging app and for the past year has been sharing posts critical of Russia's war on Ukraine. In fact, just calling it a war was one of the crimes the judge cited, since the Kremlin still insists it's a special military operation. Ivanov seemed unfazed in court calling the charges absurd and saying that Russia is not Putin. Thanks, Mina. Taiwan's political status is unique. Beijing maintains the island is Chinese, threatening to take it by force were it to declare independence. Conversely, Taiwan's constitution still lays claim to the entire Chinese mainland, territory its leaders lost control of more than half a century ago, all of which has proven difficult for politicians to navigate and for journalists to cover. But for some Taiwanese comedians, this standoff provides a non-stop stream of material to ridicule China, its Communist Party, and the tense relationship between Beijing and Taipei. The political satirists are popular with Taiwanese audiences. The YouTube videos of groups like ICTV can generate millions of views. And satire has proven to be a useful tool to educate audiences about a geopolitical stalemate that many people, including Taiwanese, lost interest in and checked out of a long time ago. The Listening Post's Johanna Husnow on the Taiwanese political satirists cracking jokes at China's and sometimes Taiwan's expense. From the monotone delivery to the outfits and the flags on stage, it's exactly like watching a press conference from China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Except this one is produced in Taiwan by comedians for a satirical show on YouTube called ICTV. When we established the channel, we wanted to use a less serious way to explore politics. We imitate CCTV, China's state TV channel, and how they report the news. Our most popular segment is the press conferences held by China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. I play the part of a Chinese official. The questions are very satirical, for example, about China's internet restrictions or how they manage the pandemic. Irony not only makes people realize that certain things China says are nonsense, it also makes them examine and question it. ICTV reflects Taiwanese people's dissatisfaction with China's involvement in Taiwan over the past few years. Their style is mockumentary news. They pretend to be an official state media news broadcast.
But in addition to comedy, ICTV actually provides a lot of news. Many young Taiwanese don't know much about China's politics, even though it significantly impacts Taiwan. So the show conveys at least some kind of information about the current political climate to young audiences. ICTV does not just take aim at Chinese officials or China's Communist Party. Some of its satire targets politicians and politics closer to home. In particular, Taiwan's opposition party, the Kuomintang, or KMT, and the bizarreness of the country's political status quo. In the country's constitution, which was written more than 75 years ago, Taiwan is still called the Republic of China, which lays claim to all Chinese territory, including the mainland. It's a legacy of the pre-1949 era, when the KMT ruled China, before the civil war saw them defeated by the Communist Party and forced into exile in Taiwan. For decades, the KMT and the Communist Party both claimed control over each other's territory and argued that theirs was the only legitimate China. It's a strange reality, one that Beijing still asserts and remains reflected in Taiwan's constitution, and it's at the heart of ICTV's comedy. We pretend to be the state media in Taiwan, which aims to brainwash everyone into believing Taiwan's Republic of China is the only real China. We ridicule the political status quo. Most young Taiwanese find the situation bizarre and funny. But there are older people from different generations who feel sad about it and have other views on the Republic of China. I would say that before ICTV became really popular, a lot of the young people didn't know that in our constitution we still tried to claim back the territory. It wasn't aware because people just don't talk about it. And now because the power of comedy, people know it. it's like, come on, KMT, you probably need to fix your constitution or we need to face our history together. Taiwan's situation is just very surreal. While our constitution claims that our territory covers the whole of China, everyone knows that Taiwan is being bullied by Beijing and could never govern mainland China. The same goes for the other side. The Communist Party has always claimed that Taiwan is a part of the People's Republic of China, which is equally ridiculous. It's all so stupid, but also very sad. ICTV are very effective at using sharp black humor to address these territorial matters. It's a funny and satirical way of addressing the truth. ICTV's YouTube page has more than a million subscribers. And they are not the only comedians ratcheting up views. Political satire, with its irreverent take on Taiwan's identity and constitution, has struck a chord with young audiences. Take Brian Tseng, who launched Taiwan's first satirical talk show in 2018. He used much of his airtime to joke about his favorite topic, China. So, we're going to talk about the 
Then there are the new kids on the block, podcast hosts like Kylie Wang, who uses her show to reach Chinese-speaking audiences in Taiwan and beyond. We try to reach uh, all the Mandarin-speaking people around the world, like Singapore, Malaysia, not to mention like Hong Kong and China. Our podcast show has a lot of Chinese listeners who secretly support what we say, but they can't really say it. The reason why we know is because some of them send us emails anonymously and tell us how lonely they are because they can't really share what they really think in their own country. Unlike China, Taiwan has one of the freest media scenes in Asia. It's been that way since the 1990s, after the country emerged from decades of Kuomintang dictatorship. But the information space is very polarized, and a significant share of news outlets are indirectly controlled by Beijing. With an economy that greatly depends on China, Taiwanese media organizations that criticize the Communist Party can face commercial pressures. Platforms like YouTube and Spotify offer comedians a space to say and produce what they want without having to take any of that into account. YouTube as a platform is very important to us. Using YouTube and to a lesser degree Facebook means that we can criticize China without facing threats or commercial pressures. That's not to say that mainstream news outlets in Taiwan don't take a stance. Some of them do address China's propaganda and politics. There is pushback. Our selling point is that we turn China's propaganda into a joke, to blunt the power of propaganda. Much of the mainstream media that was resisting China's communist government has either been bought or disappeared. If you want to establish a political satire program like ICTV on a TV station, you face funding and personnel issues. So these shows rely on YouTube. But they still need to be careful because China is also infiltrating this space. It's just another tactic of theirs. Despite all the jokes, not all ICTV content is a laughing matter. With stories like Hong Kong's protests or the war in Ukraine, the show takes a less comedic, more journalistic approach, with correspondents even flying out to report the situation from the ground. For Chen Se Chen, it's about the balance between satire and solemnity. We have one principle when we make the show. If we're going to talk about a sensitive story, or one that involves a lot of casualties, we're going to approach it in a serious, more cautious way. For example, the war in Ukraine, where we have sent a reporter to cover it. I don't think our channel will become an official, serious news channel. After all, our audiences watch us for fun and for satire. But we might at some point develop another channel that has a different mission. What's really interesting is that when Taiwanese comedians try to do comedy or political satire, people would tend to think that, okay, you guys are anti-China, but we are not. A lot of people, they just haven't understood that yet. So we are trying our best to reach more people, to make them understand what we are doing, and we are just protecting our society and our country. And I'm sure that this is something that they will appreciate as well. And finally, it's been more than a month now since that earthquake hit Turkey, and news outlets there already have their eyes on another upcoming story, the presidential elections in May. 
It's not as though the quake coverage this past month could really get at some of the more complex issues behind the disaster. The Erdogan government's intolerance of criticism has landed journalists and online voices in trouble. So Turks have been seeing less and less reporting on dodgy construction standards or the politicization of relief efforts. Instead, the media have overdosed on some melodramatic rescue stories that put the government in a far better light. We're leaving you now with a recap of some of the more fawning pro-government coverage that Turks have been seeing, and we'll see you next time at The Listening Post. Take yürek, take bilek, olma Gaziantep'teki arama kurtarma çalışmaları bir kez daha sonuç verdi. Çadırların nasıl olduğunu ekranlarınıza canlı yayında getirmiş olacağız. Evet şu an çadırdan içeri giriyoruz. Tabii çadırdan içeri girince selamlar hüküm. Geçmiş olsun, geçmiş olsun. Şöyle nasıl oturalım? Evet. Kapan ailesine efendim misafir olduk. Sizi tanıyalım. Mehmet Kapan. Yani inanılmaz anlar yaşanıyor burada. Çok mutluyuz. Çünkü Karabacak ailesi de 129. saatte hayata tutundu. Allah devletimize zaval vermesin. Hiçbir sıkıntı yaşamadık. Çok şükür yemeğimiz geliyor. Her şeyimiz dört dörtlük. Tanıklık ettik. Merhaba. Fatih Çimen sizler hepiniz bu yayındaydınız. Ve gerçekten burada yaptığımız bu yayın sırasında... Var. 